This episode is sponsored by Osea. Osea puts your health and the health of the planet first. Formulated with all skin concerns in mind, Osea makes products infused with sustainably sourced, organic Patagonian seaweed and active botanicals. Osea can help reveal and illuminate your natural radiance. Whether you're looking for hydration, oil balancing, anti-aging, or blemish solutions, every product is sustainably packaged, non-toxic, cruelty-free, vegan, and made with love in California. Use code GETLOVEDUPFREESHIP for free shipping in the USA. Welcome to the Get Loved Up podcast. I'm Koya Webb, founder of Get Loved Up, where we inspire you to love yourself more, love others more, and love the planet more. Each week, I'll interview a special guest who will share their insights on how they practice daily self-care, tackle tough challenges in life, and thrive in the world one breath at a time. You will be inspired to take control of your life as you heal yourself mentally, spiritually, and physically, and create a reality in alignment with your deepest passions. Let's get loved up. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Get Loved Up podcast. I'm your host, Koya Webb, and today I am here with Erica Chidi Cohen, and she is the CEO of Loom, which helps women with everything from sex education to periods to parenthood. She's an educator, she is a doula, and she is an author. Erica, welcome. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I'm so happy to have you. I know when we first met, you were actually helping me, and I (laughs) came to you like, I need help, and you are just such a visionary, and you've been... Uh, a lot of people might not have heard of it, but you're everywhere. You've been doing this for a while. <laughs> I've been here for a minute. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so just tell me a little bit about um, how you got started on this journey. Yeah. So I got my start as a birth and postpartum doula in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a really kind of what I would say formative beginning as a doula insofar as I was working in the for-profit space with families that were in tech and so highly affluent people. But then at the same time, I had the opportunity to be a founding member in the Birth Justice Project, which is a nonprofit Mm -hmm. organization that supports pregnant people that are in jail. Mm -hmm. And so it was really interesting kind of working in those two environments for a number of reasons. But primarily what I learned is that birth is this universal experience and that Mm -hmm. regardless of where you are, you need a certain set of support tools and information to feel anchored during the process. Right. And in terms of just kind of what was interesting too with my doula work is, you know, I, I come from a number of different backgrounds. I now kind of call all the things that happened in my 20s kind of creative discovery because I, <laughs> I went to culinary school before I went to college. So I had a chefing background and then I worked in PR for a little while and fashion. And, you know, I was able to kind of take all of these different industries and kind of blend them into um, into my career as a doula and now as a business owner and with Loom. And so my whole thing has always been how can we make the discovery of ourselves, the having the health education experience feel like the rest of your life as mm-hmm. opposed to this really kind of archaic, boring, stale, uninteresting experience. Why can't it feel like 
other experiences that you enjoy. And so I think bringing all of those different, you know, skill sets and, and, and industries into like that health education experience has been why I think people are excited about what we're doing at Loom. Mm, that's really beautiful. And how do you feel like, I mean, even working in, you know, birthing, that's such a delicate space. And I know, especially being a one of cover, we have a high rate of just so many things like infant mortality and just, you know, I remember hearing this story about Serena Williams and her birth and how how just traumatic it is to think that a woman in such space would not be taken care of. Mm-hmm. What can you share about what you've experienced being in this being in this arena? Well, I think what a couple of things to keep in mind is that we have really terrible maternal mortality rates for black women specifically. Uh, you know, we are three and sometimes six times more likely, depending on where you are um, in the country, to die in childbirth as opposed to our white counterparts. And not only does it, not only is it related to maternal mortality, but also infant mortality as well. That mm-hmm. you know, black babies with under the first year are anywhere from three to six times more likely to die than their than than white than white babies. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, what's interesting about that is. It is a case of what we call implicit bias mm-hmm. and racism. And so implicit bias means that you're not even aware that your bias is impacting your interaction with another person. So, mm-hmm. and, and I think as black women, and as a black woman myself, it's, it doesn't matter what school you went to, how much money you make, if you're nice, if you smile, mm-hmm. if you are interacting with a care provider that is not of color, there is a high probability or high possibility anyway, that you will probably experience subpar care. Mm. Um, and, and, and that's something that we really all have to face. I think the first step is just facing it. Right. And, you know, and moving on from maternal mortality and just thinking about reproductive health in general, Mm -hmm. I think black women and just people of color are typically rated lower for pain, are mm-hmm. kind of issues that we might be expressing with our body are not typically taken seriously. Mm-hmm. It might take us much longer to get diagnosed for things like fibroids or endometriosis or any of these kind of reproductive health issues. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, as a doula, obviously I've seen that right. um, take place, but as a person, I've seen myself experience care that I can tell is being impacted by how I look as opposed right. to someone else's experience having similar symptoms that I'm having. And so I think my piece of advice really would be for, for, for black women and for people of color. And also if you're an ally, you're not a person of color and you're watching this is acknowledge and start to integrate the fact that if you look like you and I, mm-hmm. our healthcare experience is going to be different right. and pretending that that's not the case actually puts us in more danger. Right. And so, you know, I'm really interested in working on what kind of materials we can create that will give black women, POC people more agency in the healthcare environment. And maybe a part of that is just with your care provider, if your care provider is not of color, just naming these statistics and saying, what are your thoughts about that? Mm-hmm. You know, and letting them know that you have an awareness and you're bringing this to their attention and right. just, you know, creating some oxygen around this Mm -hmm. issue and maybe there is potential there to help make your care experience better, maybe to keep you safe by acknowledging the problem 
as opposed to just being like, that's really terrible. I hope that doesn't happen to me and not bringing it into the space with your provider. I think there's something there because implicit bias is not something you can, you know, detoxify out of your system. You know, right. you have to continue to engage with the issue to know that something is, is wrong. So mm-hmm. again, and not to put that burden on us again to educate and right. to do the emotional labor of here are the issues. But I think when you are fighting for your health mm-hmm. and for your life, I do right. feel like it's an opportunity to, you know, put that potentially to the side initially to maybe create a care relationship that's going to be safer for you long term. I think that is such good advice because I think a lot of us are, we look to the doctors for the answers mm-hmm. and a lot of times, first of all, they don't have the answers. Yeah. And then second of all, I think prefacing with this is what I heard, what do you think about that? Exactly. I think it's such a beautiful way for us to really start the conversation, mm-hmm. as you said, and start the healing to where these are the numbers, but let's not like make us part of this statistic, exactly. right? Yeah. yeah. And so what do you feel like is the number one thing that you've been seeing in your line of work? And we can start with like young women mm-hmm. and own up to, you know, maturity and, and, and then maybe even having a child. Like, what do you feel like are some of the things that people don't know that you want to share with the listener? Well, I think... As young people, so again, just being conscious of LGBTQIA individuals, you know, whether, however you identify people that have a uterus that is going to go through the, you know, hormonal changes and reproductive shifts that will give them a period. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of us don't have a good understanding of how our bodies function. So there's a limited amount of body literacy. And I do think for anyone who has a daughter or a child that has a uterus, you have a responsibility to make sure that they're getting good information. Because Mm -hmm. I think when we think, when we explore what's going on now with, you know, Me Too and sexual violence, a lot of that can be, and not directly connected, but it's in an ecosystem of opaqueness. Like, Mm -hmm. no one talked to me about my body. I don't know how to take care of my body. I don't know how to protect it. Mm. And so I think that understanding of your parts and how it works is protective. And so, you know, for anyone who feels like you don't want to talk to your child about their, you know, vagina or their genitals or anything like that because it's going to spur them towards sexual activity or anything like that, Mm. I think it's a real disservice because you actually are giving them more autonomy and more protection by letting them know, okay, this is how your body works. Right. Um, and I think, you know, one of the classes I teach at Loom is a class about periods mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's for adults. And I always say at the beginning of the class that, you know, the reason why you're all here tonight is to potentially recreate or reimagine your relationship with your period. Because one of the main things that comes through in the class is that most people have a very kind of shameful or traumatic you know, story or memory around getting their first period. Mm -hmm. And so I think what's happening now in the zeitgeist is there is this reclamation of the body and the reclamation of our fluids and our, you know, and just how our bodies are, the experience we're having in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And I think for, you know, women, female identifying people, people that, you know, have uteruses, there is this opportunity to kind of re-engage. And so Mm -hmm. just as you said, like going through to maturity, it's like, don't feel like there's a limit to when you can start to learn about your body and when you can re-engage. You can always 
turn back and go to the beginning and press reset. There's always mm. that opportunity. And then in terms of pregnancy, you know, pregnancy, firstly, I think we have to remember is a normal physiological event. There's nothing wrong with you, mm -hmm. you know? And I think our society becomes very obsessed with optimization and there's a lot of just general anxiety. And I was talking to a client today and they were like, are we missing something? Cause we're not like doing a lot. We're not stressing about things. I'm like, no, it's not supposed to be stressful. If you can't, <laughs> if you can avoid, if you're feeling good, right. that's, that's actually where we want you. So right. just acknowledging that this is a normal process. I think also for black women, you know, there's a, a lot of infertility in our communities as mm -hmm. well that's also under discussed and i mm -hmm. think it's really important to be talking about that more right. um i'm kind of skipping back even though we just talked about pregnancy but just mm -hmm. creating more conversation around the challenges right um i think is key because through that we can have more community around it and the same thing with miscarriage mm -hmm. we need to just like take these topics out of these shadowy kind of right. shameful environments and bring them into mm -hmm you know, into the light because there is healing that happens just through sharing, not through even figuring anything out. Right. Just like I see you, I had that same experience. And I think ancestrally, that's what we've always done is have these conversations. So, and then moving through to what I think is just like the dark box that no one's really looking at is menopause and perimenopause. You know, mm -hmm. again, so many of the female, you know, reproductive experiences are not visible right so other than pregnancy a lot of these things we just kind of carry inside of our bodies no one can see them and so there aren't there hasn't been this like impetus to create really good support structures to get us through these things because you can't see that they're happening and so right. you know as so many women are like you know moving into higher points of power in the economy and in commerce and in the workplace, mm -hmm. you know, what are we going to do for these women as they all begin to go through perimenopause and menopause? You right. know, do we just continue this old tired narrative of, oh, she's got hot flashes and she's crazy and she's done <laughs> that? Or do right. we start to say, like, what else can we do? Mm -hmm. Whether it's like, you know, food, movement, like how can we better mm -hmm. anchor women through these different, very pivotal phases? Because I think to be in the the world that we're in now we've had to take on a lot of male energy right for lack of a better word and not trying to be gender but just how we understand the identity of of maleness which means work which means emotionless which means not checked into your body um and that doesn't really work for for women mm -hmm. we need to be working almost backwards yeah you know and so that's the invitation right and what do you think being in this field for so long what do you think those things are i know you mentioned infertility and and menopause and things like that so what are some things someone listening right now can what can they start to do because i would like to know what do you feel like is the cause of all of the infertility, the higher rates of infertility that we're experiencing right now? Well, you know, it's hard to say because, mm -hmm. you know, from a clinical perspective, and I'm not a clinician, you know, mm -hmm. the, the data I think is, you know, it's more metadata. We don't really know exactly why. Right. But what I would like to say in terms of things that someone could do right now, like, you know, if you're a woman, um, especially if you're a black woman, managing stress is so key. Mm -hmm. You know, when our bodies are in this like continuous cortisolic state, it's very hard for reproductive hormones to thrive anyway, mm -hmm. because your body's just like, just trying to get through. I think another 
thing that could be really helpful is to start to learn and understand your men- menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're someone that's cycling without hormones, you don't have an IUD. Um, there's a lot of power in understanding the different phases right. um, and knowing that you're more than just when you're bleeding. There's just mm-hmm. so much that goes on throughout the entire menstrual cycle. Right. And there's a, there's a really wonderful relationship that you can form with it that, that, that can really inform your productivity, that can really inform how you connect with other people mm-hmm. um, and can really just unlock a lot of preconceived notions that you have about yourself. Right. Do you um, have any website or app that you can give people to go to? Totally. So I think Clue, in terms of tracking your cycle, is a really mm-hmm. wonderful app. I think another great book that just came out, um, and I can't remember her last name, first name Lisa, um, but it's called The Fifth Vital Sign. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also POC, and I'm super excited about the work that she does. Mm-hmm. And that would be a great book. And then Heavy, uh, Heavy Flow is another book. These are both two new books that have come out. And I love referring to newer books because Mm -hmm. firstly we know that the research is going to be really up to date Mm -hmm. um and also i think in the past two three years the conversation around menstruation has shifted so much right um it's really nice to contact those books and then also sweetening the pill which is a book by holly um holly griggs sprawl Mm. might be right um Mm -hmm. that's all about the history of hormonal birth control um, and what it does and why it was even invented and so if you're thinking about, I really like my birth control and I want to stay on it, absolutely continue to do that. But it's really nice just to know the history. I think a lot of us are divorced from the history. We've just been right. given the thing and it works really well, but we don't understand mm-hmm. the background. Um, and then if you're thinking of getting off birth control or you're currently not on it, I think those other two books would be a really great place to start. In my book, Let Your Fears Make You Fierce, you will enjoy a step-by-step guide and workbook with daily mind and body exercises in every chapter. You will have the tools to identify and transform your fears into unbreakable strength. You will learn to manifest the life of your dreams by aligning with your highest vibration. You will vitalize your health and raise your energy with the healing practice of yoga and meditation. You will learn to shift your thoughts to positive affirmation so you can attract the people and things you really deserve. You will find your true passion and purpose by connecting with your authentic self and inner guide. I've spent the last 15 years of my life as a yoga instructor and life coach, transforming the lives of thousands of people worldwide. And now it's our turn to transform together. When you order, let your fears make you fierce. I will also gift you 10 fierce meditations. I encourage you to listen to these meditations every day in the morning or at night and let them infuse your soul with good vibes. Once you receive your book, we will also have a book club for you to join so that you realize you are not alone in this journey. We are daily transforming together. Let your fears make you fierce. I think we should dive a little bit into birth control because a lot of women do not know the kind of what birth control is doing and how it can affect the body in a negative way. Mm-hmm. I think they just think, okay, I'm not having my period, that's okay. Or I am having my period, I have these hormones. What's well, normal, everyone else is doing it. But can we kind of dive a little bit into that? Because I know I took, tried all different types of birth control and none of them really worked. And then I even got an IUD mm-hmm. that fell out and then all that happened before I started naturally connecting with my You're body. Talking. Well, you know what's interesting? So. My thing with birth control is I'm actually right down the middle mm-hmm. because for some people, birth control works beautifully. Mm-hmm. Their system really 
does well with it, especially if you put on the right birth control. Mm -hmm. Like it's the right dosage, it's the right kind of hormone for your system. Mm -hmm. um, for example, I have people who, you know, take the mini pill and feel great on it. I have people who are on, you know, um, the Mirena IUD, they get a tiny little bit of localized progestin in their uterus and it's perfect for them, you know. Mm -hmm. But then there are people who take hormones and their bodies do not do well. Mm -hmm. um, and their bodies will gain weight, their skin, their mood, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a woman, actually an excellent book to read, I'm so mm -hmm. sorry, is by uh, uh, Laura... Oh my goodness. It's called the period repair manual. Mm -hmm. um, so I would totally recommend for people to check that out. But she, we had an event with her at Loom about a year ago. And, and what she said about birth control still stays with me that, you know, every, some people are like Hummers mm -hmm. and some people like Priuses, you know, right. they need different kinds of fuel. And like, if you put that kind of fuel into that car, it's not going to do that well. Mm -hmm. And so that's the case with birth control, because I think it's really important. I think from a feminist standpoint that, if birth control is working for you, mm -hmm. fantastic. I'm mm -hmm. not going to try and sway you from that because truthfully for some people, they'll come off birth control and they're pregnant six weeks later or three weeks later. So mm -hmm. people's bodies just bounce back. Other people, not as much because pretty much a very rudimentary way of explaining how birth control is working is that it is basically cutting off communication between your ovaries and your brain. Mm -hmm. So it's telling your body to not go through the process of ovulation. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when those hormones are um, desaturated out of the system, your body will start to make that communication again. And sometimes that communication is a laser. It's just like, whoop, we're ready. Let's go back. Right. And for other people, it's kind of like a telegram, you know, it's like beep, 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 like over time, sometimes the signal gets through, sometimes it doesn't. And it mm -hmm. takes a lot of time for that recalibration to take place. So that's kind of my piece on birth control in that that's what it's doing from just a physiological standpoint. But mm -hmm. the choice of whether to be on it or not is less about whether birth control is good or bad. It's more finding the right kind for you and also making sure that you're taking care of your body while you're on it. And if your thought is, I'd like to conceive, starting to prepare for conception, even while you're still on the birth control to kind of get your body um, you know, where it needs to be. And a big part of that kind of you know, conception or conscious movement towards conception is stress management. Mm -hmm. Because that is, I mean, I've had clients who will come in and see me that, you know, are eating perfectly, exercising, like doing all the things, but there's, there's trauma, there's grief, there's some very either covert or, or, or overt stress in their life that they're not able to access that is creating, you know, right. more issues for them than, than anything else. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so what are some of the top things you recommend to your clients to do to like really manage those stress levels? Well, I think meditation, mm -hmm. we we're just talking about that. Right. Um, we know, you know, empirically that it has a down-regulating response on the brain and on the body and reduces cortisol. Acupuncture, 100%. I think, you know, a weekly or bi-weekly acupuncture is incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. Good sleep hygiene, you know, mm -hmm. really making sure that you're having good sound sleep and really figuring out, like, what your sleep hygiene looks like. Like, do you need a weighted blanket? Do you need a heating pad? Do you need better sheets? Like, mm -hmm. these are all things that are going to help, you know, make your sleep feel better. Right. And I think also, you know, making sure that you're getting the right supplementation, that you're getting... You know, a good amount of folate or methylated folate is really important, you know, if you're thinking about conceiving because it helps to um, reduce neural tube defects in the single digit weeks of gestation. Most people don't realize you need to take a prenatal way before you conceive. Right. You know, How least, long do you think? Or would at you At least suggest? three months. Three months. Okay. And, and longer. 
if you mm-hmm. can, because, you know, folate's not something that your body's naturally making. It needs to continue to kind of, it needs to be replenished mm-hmm. um, by an outside source. So, so those, so those will kind of be my, my three things. And actually also massage and movement, like, you know, mm-hmm. getting the body to kind of open up and, and sweating obviously is also great because that helps with endorphins and just right. get, you know, getting your heart rate up. Those are mm-hmm. things. But again, I always, I always like to say, keep it simple, mm-hmm. keep it simple, you know, like, you know, getting too caught up in like, and f- fixated on what you're eating all the time, like the exact portions and what it looks like and where it's coming from. All of that is just more stress. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's more about you should try and adopt a lifestyle that is just continuous. Right. There's not this constant, you know, augmentation. It's like there's some simplicity to it because that rhythm is really what helps bring your body into that more easy cadence as mm-hmm. opposed to being like, oh, I got it. You know, because right. we're so, we're all wired like that right now. And Absolutely. So kind of pushing away from that. Absolutely. And did you always have this rhythm yourself or like how did you kind of get into this lifestyle uh, over a decade ago? I think, well, honestly, my mom, my parents, I'm first generation Nigerian American. My mom was very into like holistic practices from like a young age. And my mm-hmm. mom's a nurse and my dad's a doctor. So we just grew up in a home where my mom would be like, you're sick. I'm going to like make this like you know, it's like apple fermented elixir thing for you to have. And mm-hmm. my mom always was very much about like touch, um, you know, in terms of like, I remember being like a kid and her being like, okay, this is how you put lotion on your body. Like right. take it all the way through to your fingers. Like she's very like in her body. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely grew up with that kind of in and around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I think, you know, I've, I always, I always feel like my system wants coherence. Like that is the driving mm-hmm. force. So I, I'm, I'm really into trying to self-regulate. So it's like in terms of how did I find this lifestyle? I think there was always an, the invitation came early, mm-hmm. but I think I'm always trying to figure out how can I, how can I create more coherence? Cause that's actually what I want more so than chaos. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and I think we all want that, but I think sometimes just, for me, I just think language is so important and just mm-hmm. finding these words that you're like, oh, no, I don't want this. I want that. And just, yeah, just wanting to wanting to soften, I think, is mm. is is what a lot of the practices I have in my life are about, especially when you own your own business and you're so busy and you're doing all these things. It's like trying to create some rhythms, I think, are so important. And, and children need them, too. Absolutely. We need them back then. We need them now. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. And what do you feel like if you were to go back and talk to 14-year-old Erica, hmm. <laughs> what would be your advice to her? I would say that it's probably going to get a lot harder mm-hmm. before it gets easier. And try not to be so hard on yourself when you're doing all these different things. And you're like, what am I going to actually do with my life at the end of the day? Because that the journey is taking you actually where you need to go and just trust that, you know, this odd job, this thing is, mm-hmm. is, is the right thing just to have like some more trust and that it's okay to be sensitive. Mm-hmm. That's okay too. Right. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like you're sensitive, extremely sensitive or highly sensitive, empathic even? Definitely. Mm. For sure. And I, I haven't really talked about that um, on any podcast. Can you kind of dive a little bit into how you identify as an empath and what that means to you? Well, I think for me, it's just, I really feel the room, you mm-hmm. know, even when I'm not using my entire brain, I can just pick up on what's happening. And sometimes it's not going to be exact 
you know, words. I'm not, I'm not seeing anything, but I can definitely feel the vibration of whoever I'm with. Like, mm. is it more low vibration? Is it more mid? Like, what is this person, you know, going to necessarily need right. is something I'm able to kind of pick up on. And I think that's why the doula work has always come mm. so easily because it is a lot of feeling the room, anticipating the need. And, you know, it can be a lot to feel all of that, which is why I need a lot of downtime mm-hmm. by myself. Right. <laughs> but I can kind of recharge. But it's something that I, I think as I'm getting older, I'm starting to enjoy more and more just listening to my intuition and listening to my body speak. I think I have a lot of bodily sensations, whether it's like my stomach or my throat mm. or my jaw. These are things that will be kind of dead giveaways to me when I'm in certain environments, whether or not I feel safe or unsafe or, right. you know, so it's, it's a lot of just listening to what my body's kind of saying mm-hmm. and just being like, oh, I feel what's going on here, you mm-hmm. know? And it's not necessarily psychic. I'm not like looking at a crystal ball being like, mm-hmm. I can see, but you can just feel, you right. know? Yeah. And has that come up like in relationships that you have, either with your family or a significant other, to where you're feeling things? And I know I'm also empathic and highly sensitive, and sometimes it's hard to differentiate between my brain and my intuition and all the things. Totally. So how do you process that? And has it come up for you in relationships? Yeah, I feel like it's a, you know, it's it's a learning pro- process. Mm-hmm. You know, I even think now, like even this week, I'm, I'm unpacking and, and realizing new things about myself. But I think there is, in terms of the relationship, it's so important to uncouple a little bit in terms of okay what's yours and and what's mine you know Mm -hmm. and find interdependency as opposed to codependency right so that's something i'm always kind of navigating in every relationship platonic or other or Mm non-platonic but in terms of myself i do feel like there's a lot of power in the sensitivity Mm -hmm. if you can acknowledge it and not have to always be in this headspace of and especially I think how black women are seen as being like super resilient and very strong and getting it all done. I think there's a lot of power in the vulnerability of being like, no, no, I have a lot of things, but mm-hmm. I, but I, but I'm, but I'm, but I, I have a sensitivity. Like right. I, I do break down. I do cry. I do have this softer side of me. And I would, I'd love for more black women in positions of like visibility and power to express that more because mm-hmm. I think, we we do need a soft place to land you right. know we do need like you know time energy attention mm-hmm. you know because we're always pouring out the tea and it's like it's really nice to make it known that you would like tea too right you know what i mean yeah absolutely that's so, that's a beautiful way to put it yeah i like some tea too <laughs> i like some tea too thank you i like some tea too so what do you feel um based on kind of like what you've learned up to date like when it comes to relationships, because I know like you definitely are like really pushing for people to understand like, you know, the difference mm-hmm. between like what you're comfortable in a relationship and what you're not and your own journey in relationships and learning like dealing with your sexuality and how you express with other people. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I've been with my partner, I've been married for about five years, been with my partner for almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, I am a cisgendered person, but I identify as queer. So, you know, I've had a lot of different kinds of relationships with different people Mm -hmm. um, throughout my life. I think, you know, just to your question, you know, I think it's important to 
state who you are Mm -hmm. and um, in the relationship, but also be comfortable with that changing and just make sure that, you know, you're being met. You know, Mm -hmm. I think it could be very common for, especially for female identifying people to do a lot of the emotional labor in the relationship. And I think that always should be shared, you know, and I think from a sexual standpoint and just from a reproductive standpoint, the same thing, like women usually are the ones bearing the, you know, reproductive responsibility or the family planning responsibility. Like Mm -hmm. I'm on birth control, I'm tracking my cycle, all of that. Mm -hmm. When I think that the partners also should be as involved, whether it's like they know your cycle too, Mm -hmm. or they understand, you know, whatever it is that you're taking, how it's impacting you. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, as a friend of mine recently had their partner have a vasectomy. It's like, there just needs to be more equity in terms Mm -hmm. of that. And also just, you know, don't be afraid to keep learning about your sexuality. Like our sexual selves are on a continuum, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like everything else. We're like built with this hardware, but this hardware is going to change and need to be updated and have, you know, new apps added to it. So <laughs> it's just, it's being curious and being open to that evolving mm-hmm. part of yourself right. um, and, and making sure that you invite your partner or partner is like to have to be on that journey with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, your sexuality and your actual, the sex that you have doesn't have to be static. It can change. And, you know, and it's also not about more necessarily. Sometimes it's less, but it's quality and it's it's depth and it's safety and it's intimacy, you know, really like into me, you see like that vulnerability right. being so key. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that only showing up much later in the relationship mm-hmm. when all of the kind of, you know, limeracy and that early new relationship energy kind of peters out and you mm-hmm. start to be like, oh, this is who you are and and this is how, you know, we can really continue to show up for each other. That's beautiful. And do you feel like being married, do you feel like that's something, because a lot of people are getting divorced mm-hmm. and a lot of people are like, I'm not even getting married. Like, what do you feel about the commitment in marriage as, as, a, um, as a vehicle to really connect to people? To me, I think marriage is valuable and Mm -hmm. that is not from any other standpoint than I enjoy the intensity of the commitment. And, you know, we live in a society where that piece of paper also binds you financially. It creates, you know, a tie in that I think is that's important. That really means like we're building something together. We're building Mm -hmm. a life together. Do I think everyone needs to be married? No, I don't Mm -hmm. think that that is important for everyone but i think for me at this point in my life that the, that relationship and being under that specific relational canopy of marriage makes mm-hmm. sense for me for sure mm. but i don't feel like it's something that everyone needs mm-hmm. so for that person listening who might identify the same as you and still trying to figure out themselves when it comes to relationships what advice can you give someone because i feel like a lot of people that i talk to are not really sure like okay well who can i tell do i feel comfortable around my family how when it comes to work like what what is too much when should i let people know like this specific thing about about me mm-hmm. so can you give in terms, a, are you talking about in terms of coming out or in terms of like yeah in terms of coming out if you will or even just because i feel like to me i feel like it's it's like the expected like you should tell someone but everyone depending on their sexuality doesn't ever talk about their sexuality yeah so i kind of feel like it's a very interesting subject yeah well i think the thing too is it's like you know how you identify you know sexually is your information so mm-hmm. first and foremost there's no 
you don't have to tell anybody anything about right. you unless you want to. But I think the truth about coming out or having that experience is you're going to have to keep doing it again and again mm-hmm. and again. And I think that's probably less discussed is that, especially if you look like what our society would deem as a hetero, very feminine looking woman, mm-hmm. you're going to potentially have to continue to tell your story that actually I'm, you know, not just interested in men. I'm also interested in women or you know, mm-hmm. trans people or whatever it looks like. So I think that the journey of your coming out story is just long. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll be telling that story forever, right. basically, one. And I think, two, in terms of how much you want to share about, you know, what you do sexually, mm-hmm. you know, is, again, it's it's really going to be with people that you feel comfortable and that you can have trust and safety with. Because I do feel that talking about sex in general is so important. Mm-hmm. So it's I think it's key to find people that you feel safe with that you can, because when you talk about sex, it's just like I was saying about with fertility, with miscarriage, mm-hmm. all these things, there is this destigmatization that happens in the discussion. You can kind of get in and like not compare, but just evaluate and right. you see like, Oh, maybe I'm not, this is not that abnormal that I like this thing that I feel, mm-hmm. especially I think for, people that come from very religious homes that might be, you know, stretching out now and having their own, you know, existence and have a lot of like shame maybe around certain things, Mm -hmm. you know, having healthy conversations about sex can really help repair that. And then to your question about relationships in terms of someone who's like trying to figure out like finding a partner like or dating or whatever the case may be, I think my best advice because I have so many friends who are still going through that process Mm-hmm. Is just know that, you know, you're even if things aren't working out and you're like dating and you're like, oh, this is terrible, it's I'm really not having a good time. I think you have to remember that you're you're going through all of this to get to the right thing. Right. And so to try not to get too down on yourself and feel like it's like all is lost mm-hmm. because every single date and every single person that you meet is 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 getting you closer to that right person. Mm. And if you keep going into each date being like, okay, that didn't work out, but I'm, I know that this right person is coming. Mm -hmm. It just keeps you, it keeps you fresh and helps you feel a little less, um, a little less like, like you're going through, like you're on the hamster wheel. Because you're learning along the way more about yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And so last question I ask every, um, every podcast is like, how do you get loved up? (sighs) I take a bath. Mm. I love baths. I'll read in the bath. I'll put my I'll put my magnesium salts in. I actually have mm. a big rose quartz Ooh. crystal in my bath. It lives in the bath. Ooh. So like I'll That's get such a good idea. Yes, honey. Rose quartz in the bath. Yes, it's happening. It's happening. It's so <laughs> nice. It just lives in there, and it's so nice. Like you get it, you can put your foot on it, and you ground, mm. and then you can just get in there, and it's just in there, and it's just like put, put through the water. So mm. I put rose quartz in my bath, and I love to take baths, and I try and take a bath. At least three times a week, mm. more if I can. That's beautiful. Yeah, and then so get loved up is love yourself, love others, and love the world. So how do you um, love others? I mean, I love others through you know through the work that I do mm-hmm. and through um, encouraging people to dive deeper into their bodies and to uh, give themselves the opportunity to love their own bodies. Absolutely. You know, um, I think that's that's a big big part of it, and also just you know, the work I've done as a doula, just being there supporting 
pregnant people through that experience um, mm-hmm. definitely is like my love letter for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You're such a gift to the world. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Real. So at the end, we throw some love out at hey, the people oh, yes. watching. We make a little heart like this and Thank toss you. it out.